Amen. Make sure we're all on. Yep, we're good. Wow, what a presence of God. Amen. Isn't it just awesome to feel him? That it's not just something we know in our minds. We don't have to just know him intellectually. We can know him intimately and personally. And, um, you know, I, uh, Easter is such a, a powerful time for Christianity. This is like our Super Bowl, you know. <laughs> Every year we get to win, you know. <laughs> We get to win against sin, we get to win against darkness, we get to win against depression, we get to win against confusion, we get to win against hate, we get to win. We win because of Jesus, 100%, it's all on him, he was the quarterback, he was the center, he was the lineman, he was the fullback, he was the punter, he was... Like a one-man team, you know? I know, isn't that great? I looked that up on Wikipedia last night so I could so I could call those positions out. I think there's a halfback. And there's a Big Mac, right? Not, that's not on the team? Okay. Well... Pay the sponsors, it does. <laughs> but I just, you know, I it just I love the reminder yeah. of what Easter is for, for me and, and for everyone who has Jesus, you know, in their life. And you know, I, I, I'm also though sometimes I you know, the world is is so dark sometimes. <laughs> there is so much hurt and so much pain and so much darkness that that I I, uh, I hurt that this was the the day that we really talk about Jesus the most like we're celebrating him so much and I just I want to be an Easter guy like every day yeah. you know yeah. like like totally in awe of what Jesus did like every day yeah. you know and um, I pray that we, we grow in that and, th- and that we grab that, you know, because he deserves it. Man, Jesus deserves it. He is so worthy of us living every day, every moment, um, like it's Easter, you know. But, you know, there's this strange thing that happens, I think, for a lot of Christians and even a lot of people sometimes is, even when we start to ponder and we think about why did Jesus come to the earth, you know, why, why did he show up? Why is he here? Why did he come? And, you know, if we were to ask everybody, you know, on a piece of paper, write down why you think he came, you know, we'd get maybe 100 different answers, maybe 50 different answers. But I think sometimes we get a little fuzzy on it, even as Christians, you know, why did Jesus come to the earth? Was it to save us from our sins? If so, you know, why was it necessary for Jesus to save us from our sins? Was it to keep us out of hell? 
I think most of us would agree that Jesus came to the earth to save us from sin, to keep us from hell. But I think if that's the predominant understanding of why Jesus became flesh and blood, why God became flesh and blood through the man Jesus, if that is the chief line of thinking for why he became a man and he walked and he lived a perfect life, then what we're saying is that Jesus primarily came to save us from hell, which ultimately means that Jesus came to save us from the wrath of God. Now, again, he did die. Jesus did die and atone for our sins, and he did save me from hell. It absolutely 100% is happening. And that was so important to the Father in heaven. But this is not the central purpose. It's not the central purpose for why he came. And I think that sometimes we as Christians, we view Jesus' mission on the earth as being sent to even protect us from you know, certain death at the hands of an angry God. Think about it. And though maybe none of us, you know, explicitly say that, you know, the implication is that Jesus came to save us from God. Jesus came to save us from God's punishment. I don't think that's true. Not even a little bit. And I think we have that belief because we have some lies that we believe about God, about Father God. You know, the guy that we sing about, our Abba, our Daddy. I think we have some lies that give us permission to think that way about God. So I want to I want to I want to debunk one big one, and I'm not going to go long. We've had a lot of great messages this morning about Jesus, amen? We've sung some great messages, with communion. I mean, so I, I'm just, I want to hit this lie, though, that Jesus came to save us from the wrath of God. Most of our, I believe that, that most of our mistaken notions, our, our misunderstanding um, concerning God, I believe most of them come from fear. And, you know, we have um, kept fear front and center when it comes to our incorrect revelation of the fatherhood of God. In fact, I, I feel like that our fear of God is the chief um, cause for why we have unbelief. You know, more than any other single factor, I think it keeps us from truly knowing the Father intimately. You see, 
here's the deal. After the cross, there was supposed to be no more fear. There's not supposed to be fear in our relationship with the Lord. Because these lies, they've been unmasked because of Jesus. They've been broken because of Christ. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Can someone say amen? amen. He didn't give us fear. That's not what he gave us. He gave us power and of love and of a sound mind, a spirit of those things. That's the spirit he gives his children. God is not a father to be hidden from. He is not a father that we should run from him. We shouldn't be afraid of God. Now, I realize, you know, the Bible, you know, does talk about the fear of the Lord, right? But I don't think we really understand what is right and proper fear of the Lord. So instead of that, that fear of the Lord, which is designed to bring us wisdom, instead of having that, you know, and, and bringing us intimacy with the Father, it ultimately keeps us from Him. It keeps us from God. You see... Fear to our earthly human senses, it results, usually when we think of fear, it results in terrifying uh, thoughts, pain come to mind. And the fear of God that most people feel in the world is one that fills them with this sense of, you know, this scared sense that, that God is just waiting to pounce on me. The moment I mess up, he is waiting to clobber me. Something terrible is going to happen. I'm going to get in a wreck. I'll have cancer. He's angry. I'm paying for it. That's the kind of, that's what we, that's the lie. That's the lie. Punishment is inevitable. God's going to get me sooner or later. They see, they say he sees all things. So he certainly saw what I did last night. I mean, I, I don't know if people still say it, but I remember years ago, you know, when I would invite, you know, my, my friends who weren't quite, you know, born again. Oh, I ain't going to that church. Lightning's going to hit me when I go there, <laughs> you know. But, but they were communicating something. I'm so bad, God's going to fry me. <laughs> I can't go where that holy people in that holy place. I can be a sinner down at the town tavern, but not at your place. <laughs> God doesn't show up there, but I know he's there. <laughs> we think that punishment's inevitable. God's going to get me. And even Christians, we have this struggle as well to, that, you know, so many of us, and I'm, you know, we're just a tiny little speck when it comes to the body of Christ in the world and in America. You know, this little, maybe 100, 150 people, we're just a speck. But on all of us, this thing of fear, 
there's this this consensus and we can look on the internet and see it you know but there's this fear that that as christians we just see god as our judge that's it it's as far as our revelation goes and we talk about it and we preach it and we pound it and beat it just waiting to torture the wicked And you know, the first time where we see this lie at work is in the book of Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we have Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, created by God in the image of God. He created this perfect place, which just goes to show that no matter how perfect you get it, you're going to screw it up. (laughs) Just get over it. That's a different message. <laughs> but in Genesis 3, we've got Adam and Eve. Perfect place. God says, there's just one thing. Just don't touch this tree. Just don't. Just don't mess with it. If you do, you'll die. Just letting you know up front. <laughs> Meet you here tomorrow, you know? <laughs> I mean, that was God. He was like, I'm hanging out with you people every day, all the time. Yeah. Well, guess what? As soon as you tell a little kid no, what do they want to do? Don't go get, don't you get another sucker. (laughs) Wasn't even thinking of sucker until you said it. (laughs) Now I just want sucker. Sucker, give me the sucker. (laughs) Well, that's, that's, it's too bad because for Adam and Eve, they went after the sucker. They plucked it and they ate it and they sinned. And as soon as they did, they felt the shame of being naked. They felt the shame of their, their naked. They realized their eyes got open like, whoa, we're not wearing nothing. <laughs> it, was, it was the first nudist colony. <laughs> but... They sinned, and shame overtook them. And they realized I'm naked, and the next thing they do, the very next thing they do, is they hide from God. They didn't have that problem before. Every day before then, it was like, hang out, let's talk, what's going on? How's the berries coming along? That's great. Did you name all the animals yet? Um, Yep, pretty much, got them all. As soon as they sinned, Shame overtook them, and they realized I'm naked, and they ran and hid from God. Why did they do that? Well, it's because of this lie. It's this lie that entered their heart. The lie that says, hide. Because God is going to level you with his wrath. And the minute he sees you, and you screwed up, and he's going to know it, you're dead. Hide from him. It's your, only, it's your only chance of survival. Now, I know it's funny, but this was really what they did. This is really what's going through your mind. When the veil is torn off and you see sin and, and death and it all comes crashing down on you. And what's sad is that we are still listening to that same lie. Our revelation of Father God is so messed up sometimes. 
you know, the minute we do wrong, <laughs> we actually make God the enemy who's after us. Rather than embracing him as our salvation and refuge from our true enemy, which is our sin. We don't know our Father very well, nor do we know how to properly fear Him. You know, I realize that fear is a normal thing, and it can be a healthy thing. You know, God placed the capacity for fear inside of us. He didn't give us a spirit of it, but we have the capacity in our human DNA. And He put it there for our protection. You know, for instance, you know, before a child um, can swim, that child usually has a natural fear of the water. And that fear of water will protect him from drowning. But once that child has learned to swim, that fear is replaced with the capacity to fully enjoy the water, as well as respect it. The child now knows, he appreciates, and he understands that the water is powerful and even dangerous, but completely refreshing and enjoyable. And so he's no longer frightened of it, or afraid to get near the edge. But he loves it. He enjoys it. So in situations like that, fear is helpful. Don't touch the stove, you'll get burned. There's a big fire over there. If you get close, you're going to fry. Don't do it. Right? It's a useful tool. Fear is basic. It's a beginning. It's a response of childhood. But it's also something that we should be casting aside as we grow up. Especially spiritually speaking. Things like the fear of punishment. That's an immature understanding of God. It's a childish understanding. It may help in training in a few ways, but it's really not going to be able to get you far. It's not going to get you much more than a couple of steps along the path. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So it's important to understand that it's better to fear God than to ignore Him. You know, disobeying God does bring fearsome consequences. You know, a lifetime, when you've spent your whole life, a lifetime of independence from Him, a, a lifetime of ignoring God's voice, a, a lifetime of pleasing myself, a lifetime of disobedience, a lifetime of absolute foolish living. We should be afraid of the consequences of a lifetime 
spent that way. But here's the point. What we need to fear are the consequences of me living in sin. Not the Father who can rescue us from that sin. When Adam ate the fruit in the garden, his initial response was correct. He was afraid. I sinned big time. But the fear that he was experiencing, it should, had a, it should have been directed at his disobedience. He should have been afraid of what was just revealed about what's inside his heart. Not, I'm afraid of God. Are you tracking with me? I mean, given, you know, what had just happened, you know, given what Adam had just done, you know, Father God was Adam's only refuge. He was the only help he could have had. He was the only resource. That was it. That's all he had. But it was Adam's rebellion that was the enemy, not God. I agree. I can't not agree that, you know, hell awaits any one of us who spend our whole life ignoring God. I, I, that's in the Bible. It's true. But it's not God that we should fear. It's my pride. It is my rebellion. It is the sin inside of me that I should be completely terrified of. God is salvation. He is the only hope I have to overcome the darkness that tries to take me over every single day. You know, there's two kinds of fear. There's the fear of the Lord. And then there's the fear that the devil loves to hand off to us. The fear that properly encourages us towards relationship with our Father is the fear of the Lord that's right. It's a fear that produces a loving awe and respect in which we, we honor God and we obey Him and we, we, we respect Him like you should your dad. I realize we live in a fatherless nation where there aren't many honorable dads. But listen, that's the right response. It's honor and love and respect. That's healthy fear. Gets that in our hearts. It brings us to that revelation. That is the fear that is the beginning of wisdom. I tell my boys, boys, you should obey your dad. There are consequences. <laughs> but you love me, don't you? Yeah. Well, then honor me with your love. Don't do that. Quit punching your brother in the face. <laughs> Just stop it. I'm asking you out of your love for me. <laughs> and because they do love me and they respect me, 
Most of the time, they obey me. (laughs) Because they're learning wisdom through my leadership, through my fatherhood in their lives. It's the kind of fear that calls out for us to obey our Father in heaven so that we can have life. We can have it. We can experience it. It's the, it's the fear of the Lord, the, the good kind of fear that, that says walk with God. Walk with your Father. And then all he has is yours. Now the opposite kind of fear is the fear that we saw in Genesis chapter 3. It's the fear that that did not come from a loving father's heart. It came from an evil, twisted heart that was enticed by Satan. That's ugly fear. And that ugly version of fear says, hide from God. And if he finds you, he's going to kill you. If we live in that kind of fear where we are fearful of God, how are we ever going to learn to walk with him? How are we ever going to see what Jesus did on the cross as as anything but saving us from an angry God? If we live in fear of God, then what Jesus did on the cross becomes so twisted. And our intimacy with the Father gets hindered. And if the lie of fear, if that's what's building our house of faith, the fear of punishment, fear of wrath, if that's what's building your relationship with God, how can he be a father to us? If the bricks in the walls of our spiritual home are held together from some kind of hide from God kind of fear, your house isn't going to protect you from anything. It's not going to protect you from those lying whispers of the enemy that says, God's not really good. He's not really love. He's waiting to clobber you. I mean, think for a moment. What what would it have been like, you know? What would have been God's response if Adam had run straight to God instead of away from God in fear? What, What could have happened, you know? What would have happened if God's response was to run to God and and throw himself and confess, I I sinned, I sinned, I sinned, I sinned, I'm so sorry. Jesus tells us exactly what would have happened in Luke chapter 15. Verse 18, it says, of the prodigal son, after he's lived his life and filth and squalor and done everything his way. 
comes to his senses and he says, I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father, but, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And he declares, this son said to him, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, to his servants quick bring the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a party and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is now found and they got their jiggy on Tom Preble version of the Bible, thank you. <laughs> Copies are available in the foyer after service. This is who the Father is when we mess up. That's the picture of the real deal God. When I mess up, when I fail, when I sin, when darkness has its way in my life, this is the Father I have. This is the heart of a loving father who has in his mind and in his agenda for my life is to save me and restore me. That's his agenda for me. That's the plan. There's only one plan. There aren't any other plans. That's his plan. I will save you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to rebuild you. I'm going to put broken things back together. That's the only plan he's got for your life. And Jesus, you know, Jesus says in, in John 14, 9, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The perfect representation of God is in the face of Jesus. Our favorite verse that we see at every football and basketball game, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. 1 John chapter 4 verse 16 and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Say that. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in him. This is the purpose of Jesus. Not to save us from the wrath of an angry God. To restore us. Sons and daughters. To bring us to his daddy who he perfectly knew. Just like the, we were talking this morning, you know, the brokenness of our lives. Jesus is like, listen, I'm showing you the guy 
the healer of your soul. It's this, my dad. My dad fixes broken stuff. He's really good at it. He resurrects your lives. That was the purpose of Jesus, to reveal God's personality, to reveal his character, and to lead us back to the Father so that the Son and Father together, they might save us. God is our Father. And Jesus is the perfect representation of who God is. And when we pit Jesus against the Father, like, like the blood of Jesus is some kind of shield that protects us from the wrath of, the God, of God, then we are creating a split in the Godhead. So I'm saying today, God is one. His true nature is one, and his nature is love. The heart of love is to forgive. The atonement, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus' blood was the Father's idea. Again, there's one plan. It's one plan for you. Heal you, save you, restore you, mend you. It's not vengeance. Jesus was sent that the Father can love us with open arms, not threaten us back with a whip. It was our Father God's plan to save us from the very beginning through his son Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit.